20 years ago, in the early hours of New Year's Day, a young artist stepped off the Eurostar, ready to begin a new life in London. He grew up in Israel, but had been living in Paris, not quite making it as a musician. In London, the idea was to make dance as a showcase for his music. But life, as we know, laughs at your plans, and instead, Hoffes Schechter began creating unmistakable dance pieces. Visceral and propulsive, witty and vulnerable, becoming one of the most distinctive modern choreographers. I'm David Jays, and this is Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. We often ask our guests why their work feels personal to them, and we also ask how it connects to the wider world. So Hoffesh is the perfect guest. His most famous piece, Political Mother, gives you a sense of how public and private his work can feel. But how does it feel to him? If you've seen any of Hoffesh's work, you'll recognise his signature style. Low-slung, dynamic, with sound and light ramping up the sensation. He brings the energy of a gig to solemn contemporary dance and has moved out of small studios into rock venues, opera houses and onto Broadway. Hoffesh is a citizen of the world. His imagination seems boundless. So is dance a kind of home to him? Is his company, which now also has an apprentice wing, a family? Is he still comfortable to share his anger and his bruises? Let's ask him. Welcome to Why Dance Matters. I think of you as quite a restless person. You do a lot of work in different places. You've often got several projects on the go at once. I'm wondering, did the pandemic do your head in? <laughs> of course. That's the right answer, right? It did my head in. <laughs> I mean, a very complicated experience, that pandemic. It started with a denial that's going to take one, two weeks, you know, two, three weeks, and that's going to be gone. So I was just happy to get some time off. <laughs> then I started to feel guilty that it's all my fault that I wanted time off. And now that all kicked off. Now I know I don't control pandemics <laughs> In any it's way, and check, my, my wish for time off is not what uh, makes the world turn around. The first three months were really difficult. I mean, it was sudden death to the tours, to the work, a lot of anxiety about how to keep everybody going, the dancers, the team. It was a scary moment, but I have to say pretty quick so that it's about three or four months and. You know, I think it's uh, it's a crime to complain about being busy, but uh, after about three, four months, I became very busy um, with a lot of projects that survived the pandemic somehow, either through, well, a lot of times through streamings of projects that we thought would not happen and then did happen in Copenhagen with Netherlands Theatre, 
a film that we filmed, suddenly a couple of films that we filmed. Actually, sort of after four months or so, I was kind of sucked into an insanely busy time <laughs> and being creative in a very different way. So, yeah, it was a confusing, confusing time. And I have to say right now, I'm kind of suffering or enjoying more of the results of the pandemic that the world sort of opened up and all the projects are, were kind of pushed exactly to the same moment, which is now. So of course, um, everything starts at once. Yeah. Everything started at once. And yeah, I just feel now like, you know, it's very joyful to do all these projects, but I'm, I'm feeling like I'm juggling quite a few things. I can't complain, you know, it's just, it can be sometimes a bit challenging to, to keep the focus and the joy going. Uh, and did you sort of step out back into the world, a different person, a different artist to the one who had gone into the pandemic? It's, it's hard to say, you know, with the new creation that we did with the main company, the fix, actually most of the piece was made before the pandemic and, but it felt very timely when we, when we came out with it and we have this whole thing that happens in the end of the show where we go down to the audience and make contact. And that was the plan before the pandemic and it felt even more powerful after. So, so it was hard for me to measure my, my artistic output exactly, you know, whether I became a different artist or person through the pandemic. I want to think so. I think there was something incredibly human and incredibly intimate that was going on during the pandemic. I mean, we were all in the same situation. I think people really felt that we were experiencing very similar things. Everything was stripped away from us, you know, our titles, our jobs, actions, be it what it may, we were all just sitting at home for a moment and contemplating on what all this means. It was interesting to have a moment to reassess what are my actions inside the world, um, making dance movements, making sounds <laughs> and you know, what's the purpose of this thing? And of course it was very powerful going out there back to the world and, and feeling the real meaning and power of sharing movements and sounds with people in the room, something that somehow digitally doesn't totally work. I mean, something works, but not really. There is something about the gathering that you cannot, um, imitate in digital ways. So I think coming back out there to the world was a really powerful moment for me seeing shows again. It was a very emotional, it kind of gave me a sense of purpose again. When it all started, I suppose, dance for you, you were, you were young, you were in Israel and it was folk dance, I think, that was one of the early hooks for you. Were you a dancing child? I, I would certainly not consider myself as a dancing child. I was very shy. I was very sporty. I really liked sport. The dance was something that was forced upon me, you know, in school, primary school, where we did folk dancing one hour a week. I remember mixed feelings about it because 
it was kind of a nightmare, but I was very shy and I felt embarrassed about moving around. At the same time, I enjoyed it. It was like mm -hmm. a, a secret pleasure, but it's only when I was 12 that I made the commitment to dance and I joined the folk dance company in Jerusalem. And that was kind of admitting two things to myself. One was that I enjoy the challenge of wanting to feel good with moving, wanting to battle that embarrassment and become free inside my body and free to express myself. And the other was that sense of belonging, that sense of, of a group, of a community, of a tribe, being part of a group of people moving together. That was a big thing for me without going too deep, you know, into the story. I'm coming from a very small family, not a lot of uh, kind of a big group meetings and big family meetings, they're very, very small. So there was something there to compensate on, on the feeling that I didn't really have a tribe. That was at the age of 12 and I really fell in love with both these aspects. And did you enjoy performing as well as dancing in a group? Was there something about an audience that you enjoyed or was that not the appeal? I didn't know if I would enjoy it. I think I was dreading it. I remember I was preparing for the first show when I was 12 years old in the youth folk dance group. And I remember preparing. I remember really worrying about it. And I think that level of tension and anxiety at the moment that we performed, it, would be, it was such a release. And I remember getting off stage and immediately telling my friend, when are we going to do it again? You know, I was, I was so high. It was such a sense of euphoria and a kind of like another place, another zone. There was something that I really, really loved about it. Dare I say it was a performance in a hotel in some kind of like events room to some tourists that came yeah. to see some children dance folk dancing. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a very grand setting, the Hyatt Hotel, you know, in Jerusalem, but um, but I remember feeling really high and really invigorated by the experience. I, I think at that point, you could call me addicted to, to that thing. Thinking about it, I don't think I've ever seen you perform on stage because a lot of choreographers when they're making their name they're in the work I mean I guess either it's a solo or at least it's one less dancer to pay or something. <laughs> when was the last time that you appeared on stage I think the last time I performed was about 10 11 years ago it was a comeback already then because um, we performed in Paris we had a run of like I don't know something crazy like 20 shows and we had dancers falling ill <laughs> one after the other. It was like, we, we kept on bringing covers until we ran out of covers. And then I was like, okay, suppose I'm going to step in. So about 10 years ago, I have to say, I, I don't know. There, there was something with the performing that when I got to a place where I really lost myself in the performance and felt like I'm in that other place and just connected to some higher force for lack of better terms and just enjoying myself. It was really a great experience. I didn't experience it much in my dancing career. I think uh, my brain 
doesn't let go too easily. And I have to say, the more the company and the work made a name for itself, the more difficult I found going on stage because I was bothered with the idea that people are searching for me on stage. I'm still that shy kid from Jerusalem, you know? So it just felt, doesn't really feel like my calling, you know, to, to be a dancer. Put aside the fact that a dancer's life is a short life, you know? Sure. But you, I think originally you thought your calling might be to be a musician. That was the plan originally, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I won't call it a plan. I will call it, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not big on plans. They go wrong all the time. I think it was my first joy. My first connection to art was music. And I was uh, sent to study the piano when I was six years old. And I say sent because, again, that was not exactly a choice at that age. But I mm. fell in love with, with tunes. You know, I fell in love with that idea of disappearing into music. And listening to the record collection of my dad, it made me realize that there is a world beyond the little bubble that I live in. And that was music. And, you know, music is still a massive part of my life and of a, of a new bubble that I created for myself. And, and creating music, I couldn't separate it from creating dance. It would be very difficult for me to make only dance and not make the music. So it's still a big love. But, and, you know, plan. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't have plans. Right. Even now, is that because presumably there are people in your company grant-giving bodies, different artistic directors who want to invite you, who would like and expect you to have plans. You, do you sort of resist that still? I have dreams, you know. Right. Is this the same as plans? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm curious about creating music that is not just for dance. Creating music for dance is like creating music to meet something in the middle. And the music is incomplete without the dance and the dance is not complete without the music, but creating music just for its own sake. I'm quite curious about that or for other purposes, for film and, and stuff like that. But during the pandemic, I did discover a huge connection with making film. And as much as I was trash talking, filming dance, you know, it can't completely transfer that experience of gathering it can transfer and bring something else, you know, and, and something that can be equally powerful, but in a different zone. So, you know, I have dreams about exploring, in a way, other art forms or art forms that are very close to what I do, but it brings different angles to the experiences of life. So these are dreams. And yeah, I mean, my producer uh, transformed my dreams into plans. <laughs> I think that's nice. I think, yes, yeah. stick with dreaming rather than Exactly. <laughs> One of the things that I think people often respond to really enthusiastically in your work is the way in which it feels very big and very intimate and a piece like political mother i guess the title <laughs> would suggest those sort of two 
kind of pulls. It feels big and political. It looks as if you're taking on the world, but it also seems to come from a, a very deep place within you. How do pieces begin for you? What tends to be the thing that sparks your imagination? I suppose pieces start for me from some sort of examination of just where I am. I suppose I'm trying to be in some sort of a balance. We do it as well in my classes when we move balance between the inside and the outside, 50-50. The atmosphere is uh, pressing against us and the body is pressing back. To be in balance or to be in harmony, in some kind of organic harmony with the world for me is that these powers are balanced. And it's the same in the beginning of a creation. I'm kind of examining what's happening inside me, what's happening around me. And it takes the form of, you know, a notebook where I just pour anything and everything that exists inside me and wants to come out. A lot of it is just maybe meaningless, maybe not. I mean, it depends what you believe. I believe that if you believe that everything is, has a meaning and comes from someplace, then it will lead somewhere. So it's, I'm kind of like assessing where I'm standing and what actually interests me, what moves me. So, you know, a work for me has to come from a personal place. It doesn't mean that it's self-indulged and that it's just about myself. Sometimes, maybe, but it just means that I need to care about the work. I need to care about what I'm doing. Otherwise, I feel I'm not that excited. Then what's the point? Discovering where I'm at and what actually moves me or what upsets me or where I want to make some movements and, and to shake something up. With Political Mother at that point in my life, I think there was a, a sort of like a feeling... I mean, it's so complicated to speak about creation, but there was a feeling of this clashing. I was kind of observing how realities, different realities clash comfortably with each other, how you can read the news, feel how something is horrible and move on to your cereals in the morning and enjoy the birds and see a homeless person. And, you know, there are multiple realities that exist one next to the other in the same time. And I think that's what was interesting for me with Political Mother in, in, in the sense of the structure of it, to have worlds collide and see what kind of an emotional impact and ride it gives us when we actually watch them collide one after the other. Then, of course, I mean, there is the political aspect of Political Mother, which I will never admit, right? <laughs> um, the political background or the sense that our life exists with a backdrop that is highly politicized and how do we stay humble and human and simple inside that so you know these were questions that were bothering me and then that's why the piece became to be about that and it's also steeped in group dynamics it's something that's in a lot of your work and i guess goes back to what you were saying from your very first encounters of dance in a group yeah with the folk dance that sense that it can be, on the one hand, really exhilarating to be pulled along as part of the group. And sometimes that energy can be scary, can be terrifying, can be violent. Are you quite interested in very, taking the temperature of those kind of groups? Yeah, very interested in this paradox inside me, knowing that I fell in love with that movement inside a group, inside a tribe, you know, something that empowered me, that made me feel that I belong. You know, later on in life, I looked at folk dance and thought, you know, folk dance 
perhaps can have an agenda as well. I mean, folk dance, folk music can have an agenda. Folk musicians in America at a certain point were asked to write about specific things to create the movement inside the society. So there is, there is something scary about it. And, and that, you know, I don't have an answer to that, but I think political mother is asking the question. Political mother tempts you in with this exhilarating energy, with that sense of feeling that you belong suddenly, or that you enjoy that power of the group. And at the same time, it makes you question, where is it going or where can it go? Um, and I love that it doesn't have an answer, that it's a, a dangerous place. Somewhere you just need to remain awake so that you, you can still make choices as you enjoy the group. And um, I love that confusion. And I think political mother is asking exactly that question. the temperature of a group when you're assembling your company of dancers? I mean, a lot of people have stayed with you for years and I guess others come and go. Getting the group dynamic there right must be quite a tricky balance as well. Yeah. Again, there is something about the company that I try to keep very human and very simple. It's easy to say this, but I suppose... Um, I'm trying to stay in touch with the dancers, speak with them a lot. When we are creating, you know, we normally start with a lot of movement. I create movement and try to set the tone and the feel of the work. And then the dancers start to ask questions. What are we doing? Where is this going? Um, they will challenge me one way or another. And we start to speak about it. I suppose my view of things is that the dancers are the work. I can only kind of direct them, but if they don't feel it, I don't feel it. We don't feel it. They have to feel it. They have to connect to it. They have to relate to it. So, you know, I can come with the most ambitious or personal matters, but if it doesn't stick and if it doesn't connect to them, then there is no point. It's just not going to work. We come to a place where we start to massage and work through energies and, and issues and questions together. In a way, I can see how the ball is rolling and in a way they will have an effect on where the ball is rolling because they will bring up stuff that matters to them, that they can connect to, that moves them, that is important to them. Creating the fix with the seven dancers was a really fascinating experience and the conversations about this fast-paced world and what is the biggest present we can give people right now. Uh, at the time that we created it, we thought, well, give them time, give them just a moment to sit. <laughs> you know, mm. another thought was, well, the most valuable currency is hope. That's before COVID, you know, that, that we kind of got into these conversations in the studio. So, you know, I keep them really close to the, I mean, now more than ever, because dancers worked with me for so long, because we can kind of take the work further, deeper, wider, I really hold them close to the heart of the work so that they can be part of it. And I suppose that keeps them creatively and artistically um, interested and, you know, and developing.
started an apprentice company, Schechter 2. I'm wondering, as you kind of grow up, but dancers stay young, <laughs> as it were. Thank you for saying grow up and not grow old. I appreciate we're, it. You know, we're all in this this one hot fresh. Yeah. <laughs> we've all got skin in that game so no as you mature um i just but does it does that change your relationship to the dancers i mean especially in the the apprentice company i guess some of those dancers will have studied your work on the curriculum crazily enough how does that feel you know two things yes one first i you know i realized suddenly like i will ask someone or they will start telling me, yeah, I saw you work first when I was like nine. And I'm like, what? You know, and, <laughs> you know, these are kids that grew up watching my work. So first of all, the, the pleasure of it is that when they come to audition, when I see them, I mean, they have a complete understanding of the work, of the movement style. I literally, I look at my instructor two right now, and I literally had this thought two weeks ago, we were working in the studio, and I thought each and every one of them is a better dancer in my style than I was when I started the company because yeah. I, I didn't have the terms yet and the, you know, I didn't develop enough to understand what I was trying to do. They grew up on it and they just understand it in, on a cell level of their body, you know. So that's a real pleasure, I have to say, and, and the level is just going up and up. On the other hand, I think I'm like one of these cats that grow up with dogs and just think they are a dog because when I'm with them in the studio I I don't think about the age gap we're just laughing and dancing and I think it takes them like two days because obviously I mean they don't know me and they they just know the name the brand you know so it yeah. takes them a moment to understand that that doesn't matter to me much and and it's all about the the dancing and the creating but I'm really having a lot of fun with them, and I, I feel like a kid with them. I, I don't feel that age gap. But, oh, you know, I call them kids just to make sure we, we know where we stand. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real, real joyful uh, project, this, I have to say. I mean, it's such a great way to give people opportunities. It's such a great way for me to grow dancers. You know, it's such a great way to present the work and show other young people you know that they have a hope and a chance and, and a way into contemporary dance so it's a win-win-win kind of project and I really love it. We've heard in these conversations from ballet dancers quite often about the culture of classical ballet and how it's not always super encouraging for a young dancer that they're not expected to question they're expected to do as they're told to a large extent how does that map onto the contemporary dance world is there a different vibe or is it a similar pattern well it's very hard for me to judge i was not growing up through the classical kind of roots and, and you know i'm visiting in uh, buildings that have the uh, strict classical companies i have to say i'm just about to have a premiere with the paris opera ballet in a week and a half it's tough. It's tough buildings. You know, these are big organizations with like one or 2,000 people working their rules from here until the end of time. And, you know, and you feel it and the dancers feel it. Yeah, it feels like a very different atmosphere, I have to say. I think the dancers are thirsty all the same to develop and to be creative. 
So, you know, I, I will only be generalizing if I said something about the classical world. I only see what I see through the little crack, you know, that, that I come from and, and see when I come to these buildings that these organizations are, are big and it's very difficult to stir things there, to move things, you know. I do know that contemporary dance, at least the way I see it, strives for individuality, for diversity, for the more voices contemporary dance has, the more it fulfills its destiny, which is discovering. So exploring the options in a way is what contemporary dance is. Following a rule book is, in essence, what classical ballet does. You know, there is a way to do that tondu in the perfect way. And that's what the dancer strives to, which they will never achieve. And then they keep on working on it, you know. All the same, the result is known. Whereas with contemporary dance, the result is unknown. And the only thing that will keep it going is diversifying it and reaching it. For that reason, I find contemporary dance way more interesting, also scary, because you, you know, you always walk into a room and there are no rules. You kind of have to set the rules for your work over and over again. It's difficult, but really exciting. I think it was about 20 years ago that you came to London, that you stumbled off the Eurostar and suddenly, you know, began this extraordinary creative journey that you've been on. I'm wondering, a lot of your dancers, of course, are not originally from Britain. It's an international company which tours internationally on stages in many countries. Does it sometimes feel that dance is home more than anywhere else? Yeah, I didn't think about it like this. Yes, dance is like a country of its own, but it doesn't really have borders, so it's super comfortable. You don't need the visa, passport. (laughs) Yeah, there is certainly a dance world which we really feel connected through. And And I would say it's anyone that decided to just step in, also audience members. I feel that there is a strong connection with audience when we perform around the world. I rarely have a a thought about, oh, this is the Spanish audience and the German audience. It's dance lovers. It's people that come to explore and feel and experience life through a different angle, that kind of slightly underground-ish, dangerous contemporary dance performance. But there, is, but there is a sense of, of uh, you know, this live danger in a contemporary dance performance. And, and I love it. And yeah, I, I would agree. There is a place where we are connected and it's sort of way beyond our cultures, our nationality. There is something I really love about that. And if, again, coming back to where I come from, where background and nationality are really important, I think I in a way, created a world for myself where it just doesn't matter nationality and where you come from. And it's a pleasure. It's the, it's the world John Lennon was dreaming of, you know. We just need everyone to join. <laughs> <laughs> Including Putin. How can that be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hafesh, I'm going to stop and let you go, but I have one last question, which is, why does dance matter to you? That's a difficult one. <laughs> 
I suppose, I mean, you know, we, we spoke about a lot of things in this chat may hint to this answer and, and a disclaimer will be, this answer is my answer today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ask me tomorrow and I don't know if it will be the same, but I think coming from an overactive brain life, you know, uh, a life where, where my head was ruling, I think being in that confusing place of dance gives me a much stronger sense of life and the experience of life than I would otherwise have. I want to think that I could do something else in life if I wanted something that, that would be more analytical. I kind of, something in me pulled towards the abstract, towards the mysterious, something about the the fact that dance doesn't have words and yet makes you feel really powerful things really attracted me and maybe saved me. For me, that's why it matters because it uh, gets me out of my head and into life. That's my answer today. I like today's answer. That okay. Was a good one. I mean, I will now be calling you every day for an <laughs> yes. update, if that's okay. Yes. <laughs> for now, Hofesh, thank you so much. That's thank you so much. A it's been a pleasure. Thanks, David. I like a conversation with someone who shoots from the hip. Hofesh makes me think about what we want from dance, how engaged and involved with the world it should be. He's someone whose work makes the air electric. I really hope you enjoyed hearing Hofesh speak. You can find out more about his latest work, including the tours from his apprentice company, Hofesh 2, and the revival of two of his early pieces at the Paris Opera Ballet, in our show notes, where you'll also find all about the Royal Academy of Dance. Please do subscribe and like the podcast so that we can find other people who might enjoy Why Dance Matters. Our guest today was Hofes Schechter. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. And our artwork is by Bex Glendinning. And also making the air electric is our producer, Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.